on your devices, turn into your Bibles, or turn into the Pew Bible. The Pew Bible that is in front of you is page 960 if you want to read along there with us this morning. We've been looking and going through a series called Vital Signs of a Healthy Church. We're looking at elements and important things to us as believers that make up a solid church. Last week, we really talked about church membership, how vital it is to the life of a believer, how we as a church must expect good, important things in our membership. We must protect it. We also must not lower the bar, but raise the bar, as the Bible tells us to. But we must also understand the value of church membership in our life. And so as we've been looking at this, we're going to look at several other things for the next month or so. Today we're going to look at the vital side of a healthy church is one that values sound doctrine. So if you would read along with me verse 13 to verse 23, and we will uh, uh, ask God to bless uh, our time together. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they be all as one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, you are in me, so that they may be made completely one and that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Let us pray. God, today, as we come here to your word, we expect to hear from you. Each person here this morning, God, you are going to direct in your word. And I pray, God, they would listen. That we would all repent in the areas that we fall short. That we would quickly obey in the areas that you call us to obey. This morning, Lord, that you would speak a powerful message to the heart of all of us here and those who are looking for you. I pray and know that they will find you here in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the spirit of the age of our culture can be summed up in the phrase, this is my truth, tell me yours. There's a spirit of the culture that we all bring our own truth in some way that in the culture is just if everybody just kind of agrees in a certain thing, well then it's, this is the okay truth and everybody who believes against that truth is not okay. And that's happening in our culture today in many different ways. But you know what? It's happening in churches too. Um, it's happening in, in churches. Uh, one group called the, uh, the Emergent Church is uh, led by a lot of the ideas and philosophies and teachings of a guy named Rob Bell, who, who in his, one of his books says that uh, I am reforming, I am repainting the church. I am 
saying things not just to repaint the, that we should have a, a, a clearer uh, view of, 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 of screens and music and different things, but that we redefine God, Jesus, and the Bible. He goes on in other things to clearly say, I'm not just saying a clear understanding, a clear understanding. I'm saying a new understanding, a new understanding of who God, Jesus, and the Bible is. He is saying that we have somehow found a new relative truth about God that we can come to. Now, that's not just the only way that this is happening in churches. There's some churches that preach what is called a prosperity gospel, a false gospel, where they, they use this phrase, name it and claim it. If you just have enough faith, God's going to change your life. If you just come to Jesus, if you give all of your money, then he's going to give all of this to you. But in a, in a faith way, to which I would say to them, did Job not have enough faith? I mean, didn't the word say that Job was as faithful as anybody on the planet? So did Job not have enough faith to change his consequences? No. Well, uh, God said, no, I'm going to actually test your faith and show the world that you do love me. Did the disciples not have enough faith? I mean, every one of them, except for one, was crucified. Did they just not muster enough faith for God to then bless them? I, I'm just saying all this to say there is some very dark, false teaching that's leading people in the wrong way. That's why, for us, we must value sound doctrine. We must value sound doctrine for our lives, for the good of our lives, for the protection of our church, and for us to live faithfully to God. We need to understand that sound doctrine is important in all things in a healthy church. These words come from what Paul said in Titus chapter 2. He said it in several different areas, but Titus chapter 2 verse 1 is one of them. But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. He also says over in 2 Timothy 4, 3, when he says, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Now, uh, the Greek word that is there for sound doctrine is hugaino didiskalia. Sound is a word that also means uncorrupted, pure, and healthy. Doctrine is meaning all that the Bible teaches about God. So what do we want in our sound doctrine? We want a sound doctrine that is a biblical theology, one that all of the Bible speaks to a topic that is undefiled by the philosophies of the age. So some Christians would say, and you might even be thinking that this morning, oh, sound doctrine. Well, pastor, that's not that important. Actually, it Pastor, this is divisive, is divisive in some ways. And some of you might actually say, Pastor, this is actually, I'm just kind of bored of this. That's just, I'm, this is a boring topic to me. But I encourage you to think of this sound doctrine in this way, that sound doctrine is vital to our lives, are vital to our love for God. The more that we know about something, the more we love it. Or the more we love something, the more we want to know about it, Right? I know a friend that can tell me every part of an engine of a 68 Chevy car. I mean, he can tell me everything that puts it together. He can take it apart, put it back together, and he says, oh, that muffler on that thing. Oh, it's a thing of beauty. He knows everything about it. Why does he know everything about it? Because he loves it. 
I challenge you this morning to say, sound doctrine, if you dive into God's Word, the more you know about God, the more you will love Him. You'll find more about His character to love. You'll find more about His grace that you will celebrate. The more that you know about God, the more you will love Him. And I encourage you today as a Christian to know your Bible, to love your Bible. And I join in John Piper, the quote that I have on your paper there to say, that said, don't settle for wimpy theology. God is too great and Christ is too glorious. Know a lot about Him. Know your Word. Love you the Word. So today I want us to look at how sound doctrine is important. We're going to look at the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. And we're going to look at how Jesus specifically prayed for us that we would understand the value of sound doctrine so that we might live for Him. In this text, I want us to see four, three reasons excuse me, to value sound doctrine. Number one, sound doctrine is the means for holiness. Verse 13 And now I'm coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have joy completed in them. I've given them your word. The world hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They're not from the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. Now I want you to hear this this morning. Sound doctrine is the central means for Christians to grow in holiness. And holiness is the goal of sound doctrine. Let me hear it say that again. Sound doctrine is the crucial means for a Christian to grow in holiness, and holiness is the goal of sound doctrine. Now, as we read through these words of Jesus, what do we find? Jesus says, God, I am praying for them because there's something that they're like me in. How are they like me? Well, they are not of this world, just like I'm not of this world. Well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus, just as we've said many times, that, that Jesus came to bring up his kingdom. He is godly. He is holy. And his followers, Christians, are to be holy, be kingdom people, right? Heavenly people while we're here on earth. So what is Jesus saying? Just like I'm not of the world, they should be not of the world. They are holy people. He goes on to say here, he says, I'm not of the world, so I just say, don't take them out of the world. Just protect them from the evil one. So what's he saying there? He's saying, well, God, I'm not saying take them and remove them from all the evil in the world, but instead protect them as they live for me in the world. God is calling us, Christ is calling us and praying for us on our behalf that we would be holy. Now you ask, well, how do I get holy? Well, Jesus answers, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sancti sanctify, sanctify. This is the word for holiness. It means to be set apart by God for his purposes alone, to want what he wants, to hate what he hates. So how does one grow in this holiness? What does he say? I have given you, given them your word. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. Friends, it is the word of God. 
It is the word of him himself that sanctifies us, grows us, helps us to live in holiness set apart by the world. This is why we must pray the Bible into our hearts. This is why we must read the Bible and know it. This is why we must memorize the scriptures and have it hidden, planted deep in us. Holiness comes when we know God, know his character, know his word, and we obey it. Philippians 1, verse 9 through 11, Paul says, and I pray this, listen to this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge of every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior, so the things that are better and best, and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Friends, Paul, Jesus is saying that in Christ, in his word, that you will be held blameless before God. Now, what is our primary message about God that we share to the world? Well, we could say, is it, is it his sovereignty, his immutability, uh, his unchanging nature, his omnipresence? What is our central message to the world? Our central message is that God alone saves. What does he save? What does he save us from? Sin, right? He saves us from our sins. So how do we say, I am saved from sin, yet I live in an unholy manner? It is a contradiction of our life to say that we're going to live in a way that's apart from God. Let me just, just use this as an example. If we're saying to the world that you come to this God as the God who saves, but we live in a different way, unholy, we're, we're, we're confusing the two. What if I say to you, and this is kind of maybe not the best example, but let's just say I had a full head of hair. I know, it is funny. And, and this side of my hair was shorter than this side. This side was really long. And it looks like the, the guys maybe did like a reverse Mr. T on me and put like kind of a line down the middle. What if, what if I said, boy, you need to go to my barber. I've been going to him for 10 years. He's the best man. I think you should go to that. Would you go to that barber? Probably not. What if, you said, what if I said, man, I've been going to this place to eat. You're going to love it. It tastes so good. Everything on the menu is good. I've been eating there probably at least two or three times a week uh, at this place. Now, I've got a really severe illness due to food poisoning, but, you know, I still think you should go check, go this. Are you going to go to that restaurant and try it out? No, you're not. So how do we as Christians share a message about a holy God who saves us from sin and then live in an unholy manner? What should be the lifestyle of a Christian? That we're following God in righteousness. We're following in holiness. We're obeying him in things so that we can say to the world that I have been saved from sin and now by God's grace, now through the power of the Holy Spirit, that I am living for him in holiness. Biblical theology is important. Because we need to know what holiness is and what it looks like. It also gives us the, the power and the ability to, to put sin to death. This past weekend, I was in advanced counseling training while some were in fundamentals. And it was great because the whole weekend was talking about putting to death the fear of man. 
We all struggle with the fear of man in some different capacity. Fear of man is when we seek the approval of others more than we approve God. And therefore, we seek that approval which drives us to, to please man or other people around us, get the attention of other people around us rather than God. We do that in a lot of different ways. But you know what the, the guy that was doing the training did to help us with that? He didn't just say, Here, here's one Here's one example. Here's one piece of scripture that will help you. Good luck. No, he didn't do that. He was sounded doctor. They went through the whole Bible and helped us to see. Look, this is how Abraham struggled with the fear of man. He, he told Sarah to pretend to be his sister, right? Uh, uh, Saul uh, was concerned about the fear of man. He was always afraid that somebody was going to usurp his power. He talked all throughout the scripture of different people in the Bible who struggled with this. And then he went through the Bible and told us how we overcome this. He landed in Jeremiah chapter 17 and he said, look, it says those who turn to man will not, will not prosper. But those who put their roots in Christ not only will prosper, but will grow fruits even in the times of drought. And then we fast forwarded over to the New Testament. He said, look, this is how we put sin to death here. This is how we, we claim Christ and see how the cross is. We went through the entire Bible to show us how to put sin to death. And friends, if you want to be holy, if you want to follow God, if you want to love God, you need to know the Bible. You need to have sound doctrine so that it's not just one tool that you can come out of the tool cabinet when Satan tempts you, but a whole plethora of tools from God's Word that you can lay out as your challenge. You must read God's Word in your life groups. Challenge you, encourage you to, to pray for each other. Ask where you're struggling. Seek what the Bible says, but challenge each other to obey it. Hold each other accountable. Pray for one another as we allow sound doctrine to take root in our hearts and draw us to holiness. But doctrine is not just for right living, but it's also sound doctrine is also for the fuel of evangelism. Verse 18, as you send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified in the truth. Jesus clarifies here that, uh, that he has come into the world, that just as he has come, he has been sent, right? For God to love the world, he gave, he sent his son, that he is now sending us. Jesus said, no, I, I want you to be holy in the world, but I also have a mission for you to go through while you're here in the world. Just like I had a mission, I want you to follow this mission. You see, the prayer is, is that Jesus is saying that, that he is drawing to himself sanctified people engaging in the mission of the world. Then we see this next verse. And you know, I could actually spend a long time in this verse. I sanctify him myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. Now, what does this mean? Does Jesus say that he's just had a really great Bible study every morning? He's sanctifying himself? Is he, is he just saying that, man, you and the apostles, you're really my, my good prayer partners, and I'm sanctifying myself in this world for your sake? No. Jesus, in the context of the book of John, is saying, no, I have come to obey God to the fullest, 
to put myself to death so that I can pay for the debt of sin for you. Jesus saying, I am sanctifying myself so that you can be sanctified. Friends, this is the glorious good news of the Bible that when one day when we stand before God, it is not our sanctification that we have mustered up here on earth that we stand and lay before God and hope that God would love us. Instead, we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ and we stand before God as a holy person because not what we've done, but, but what Christ has done. And the message of the Bible is for you here today that if you don't know this as a personal truth, that you would grab hold of it. You might say today, Pastor, I would say that my life has been spent, me trying to live and fix my life on my own. You might say that your life is characterized mostly by brokenness and struggling. You might be here today thinking there is no hope for me. Friends, Jesus says, I have sanctified myself for you so that you may come to me, that you may come to God. Today, maybe today, you need to believe in Christ for the first time. Trust that he came, was buried, and rose again, and that in faith in him, you can be saved, that you alone, through Christ alone, by grace alone, you can be saved. Today, repent and believe in Christ and you can be saved because Christ did the work of salvation. But we need to have sound doctrine because we need to know this message. Sound doctrine is vital in the fuel for evangelism because one, we need to know the truth about Jesus. We need to know the truth about God. We need to know truth about the sin of mankind. We need to know the truth about Jesus and we need to know the truth about how one gets saved. Sound doctrine helps us to know that, it is, that we also cannot believe unless someone has heard. The Bible, Romans 10 says, who can believe unless they have not heard so what does that say to us then we that know needs to go and tell because people need to hear about salvation but sound doctrine also helps us as we share the gospel why was paul such a great evangelist because he was an old testament scholar he knew how to walk people through the understanding of Scripture about Christ. Listen to his plea in Antioch. In, in Acts chapter 13, he says, For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and decayed. Now, what is Paul doing here? He's saying, back here in the Old Testament, you, or in history, you've heard about this God, David. Well, he was the greatest king that all ever lived, right? Well, guess what? He's decaying in the grave. But then he goes on in verse 37. But the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. In other words, by faith you are saved in Christ. Friends, how well do you know the story of the Bible? How well can you point the, the points of truth of Scripture together? How can you 
weave the Bible together in your everyday life when you're sharing with unbelievers or believers themselves when they're struggling with things. Friends, we can't just say, well, I think it says somewhere I've heard, because man, if I say somewhere I heard, I mean, I've heard a lot of stuff this week. And I might you know, say something that not even close to the Bible, right? We need to be, understand sound doctrine is important because it's, it is important for us as we share the good news of Jesus, that we know the message that sh- saves and that message we can share. But it's not just for sharing with unbelievers. But number three, sound doctrine unites us in our life together. We must understand that sound doctrine is not just head knowledge, but it's vital for our life together. In verse 20 through 23, Jesus says, I pray not only for those, but also for those who believe in me through the word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them just as you have loved me. Friends, Jesus reminds us the importance of the value of the word that unites us together. Jesus changes his prayer from praying for the apostles to praying those who actually hear their word and are saved. And he says, for all of them, may they be one together. May they be united together. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't listen to the first part of the prayer. As a matter of fact, we all should say, what do the disciples know? We need to to know that, right? So we don't not listen to that. But now we need to say, hey, this is us. We have heard from some of the apostles shared in Jerusalem who shared with someone who shared with someone who shared with something in all of history. And we got to know about Christ. Jesus is saying we need to be united together in salvation, in the Holy Spirit, and in sound doctrine. And so here, sound doctrine unites us together. It is the framework that unites us. So number one, it unites us in unity. Jesus prayed, as, as we are one, as the, the Trinity is in one, so should they be in one. Friends, we cannot be faithful witness to Christ in disunity. It can't be divisive displaying two different faiths, do different things into the world. So holiness is important that we live right with Christ, but that we are unified together. Uh, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation in love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. Now, friends, just if that is what we are to do, how do we know what the one spirit is? How do we know what the same way is? How do we know what the same love is? How do we know our purpose? We have sound doctrine. The Bible unites us together in the same thing. We are literally all on the same page together. We know exactly what we're supposed to do, believe, and that we have a purpose together. How we are to love, how we are to live And friends, it is sound doctrine that unites us together. That's why it's important for a healthy church to have a a statement of faith in which we know this is what we believe. 
There is no preacher or teacher that is going to preach opposed to what we believe. Our statement of faith is the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. It gives a great framework to say, here are the primary things that we say defines Christianity. And there's some secondary and tertiary issues in there that we've even said. As a body of believers, this is what we agree on, on these matters. But then it also gives a lot of room on some things that we don't know, that we don't know. But here's what we know, and this is what we unite together on. And friends, when we do this, we're united together in faith, and we won't destroy ourselves. Friends, churches who are abandoning orthodoxy are dying the numbers are just proving it. For us, we need to hold true to the, the beliefs and the sound doctrine of the Bible so that we do not stray, so our church does not cease to be used by God. Secondly, love. Now, you wouldn't think that love is an aspect of sound doctrine. But friends, how do we love? How do we know how to love? If left to ourselves, we would never love. We would hold grudges. We would be gossips. We would even isolate ourselves at times. But what does the Bible teach us? The Bible teaches us the the reason to love. That not to depend on our feelings, because feelings fade. But if we know the reason for love, then we will be determined to love one another. And that is found by knowing the scripture. It can be summarized in many different ways, but in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. It is in this that we know that Christ loved us through salvation. Therefore, we pour out the same love to others. The Bible gives us the clearest reason to consider others as more important. And it should be the driving force to send us to love one another. Jonathan Edwards said this. He said, The work of redemption, which the gospel makes known, above all things affords motives to love, for that the work was the most glorious and wonderful exhibition of love that ever was seen or heard of. True discoveries of the divine character dispose us to love God as supreme good. They untie the heart in love to Christ. They incline the soul to flow out in love to God's people and to all mankind. What is he saying there? He's saying that once we know the gospel, once we know sound doctrine, then we are driven to love others. Friends, when we read God's word, we we put selfishness to death. We we change our hearts. We live for others. We consider others more important than ourselves. And we only know that when we dive deep into the scriptures and allow it to challenge us. Thirdly, another way that it unites us together is through worship. Worship has never or ever will be about us. I will get sick and tired of people who say, well, they didn't sing the song that I like. Boy, that song, I I wish they'd sing my song or the song I like or the style I did or the tempo I wanted or the meter I like it. Friends, when people come up to say, this is what I think, I don't say it, but I think it. I'm sorry, I didn't know that you're the creator of the universe that we have come to worship here today. 
I didn't know that you sacrificed your child on behalf of the sin of all mankind. I'm sorry. We will hear to worship you and your preferences and desires here today. We will change it all up so we can do what you want. Now, if you go ask Mark that, he won't say that meanly to you. He, uh, he won't say that. I won't say that either. I might just think it. The reality is this. Sound doctrine guides our worship because it helps us to understand who we're here to worship. And the more that we understand God's Word, the more we have a well and reasons to be thankful to God, to praise Him, to understand His character, and ascribe to Him His greatness. Sound doctrine guides us in worship to ascribes worth to God and helps us emotionally connect to this great, good Father who loves us. D.A. Carson said this, What ought to make worship delightful to us is not, first in, in the first instance, its novelty or its aesthetic beauty, but its object. God himself is delightfully wonderful, and we learn to delight in him. Friends, I say, I love what Mark said. I might not have said it the right way, but he said, last week he said, the pastor puts the word of God in your heart. I get to put the word of God on your lips. Everything that we do should be directed by God's word. We must experience God in a deeper way, and it only comes when we're committed to seeking God through sound doctrine. Finally, teaching. We're united in teaching because sound doctrine is foundational to this. I mean, from the very beginning, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. It is vital to Christians to be taught, to know, and to understand sound doctrine. So that's why we must have teachers that help us and unify us around the Bible. That's why some, not everybody is called to be teachers because it is an important thing. There is a higher standard that you don't teach something contrary to Scripture. In the same way, in accordance to sound doctrine, we must teach very faithfully. But you know what? The reason that we are united in sound doctrine and teaching is because sound doctrine keeps us from giving opinion. Friends, opinions change week to week. And I don't want to stand up here and give you my opinion or my thought. I want to give you the power and the truth that comes from the Word of God. But also when a teacher in a life group or a Sunday school class or in here teaches God's Word, God's Word is the one power to save. Lives change. Sin is broken. Life is given. We must have sound doctrine because it brings life to the hearer. And sound doctrine helps us to know the deep things of God. Friends, are we craving the deep things of God? Are we holding each other accountable in our life groups to applying God's Word? Do we want to know what God's Word says and vitally come alongside and live for Him? Some of you who are gardeners or some of you who are uh, farmers would know this. I can't grow oranges out of apple seeds. I can't grow watermelons out of potato seeds. And it's the same way that the fruits of a Christian life cannot come out of unsound doctrine. 
Belief and teaching must grounded in the truth, powered by God's work of grace in the heart of a believer. No believer can apply the truth that they do not know. So when they don't know the Scripture's teaching, they can't apply principles for life, for marriage and divorce and family and child-rearing and discipline and money and debt and work and service to Christ and responsibilities to the poor and care for widows and response to governments and eternal rewards or anything that we do to live our life in if we don't know God's Word. Those of us who don't know God's Word or what God teaches about salvation We don't know how to be saved or tell others how to be saved. And we can't be holy. And we can't seek holiness if we're incapable of dealing with sin by knowing the Scriptures. Friends, we cannot live to our full capacity in God's glory if we don't have sound doctrine. Today, maybe you need to commit to a better understanding of God's Word. Is that you today? Do you need to know your Bible better? Do you need to apply the truth more faithfully to your life? Or maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, for the first time, someone said through the Scriptures that I'm not a lost cause, that Jesus died for me. Maybe today you believe for the first time that Jesus died and rose again and that you are saved Maybe today is the day of your salvation. Let us, friends, be committed as individuals and as a church to sound doctrine. Let us pray. God, we ask you this morning as we have come to you and been challenged from your word. We pray, God, that together that we would hold each other accountable in holiness and life. We pray, God, together that your word has spoken and deeply abiding in our hearts. God, I pray this morning that we would love your word. God, maybe today the prayer for some of us today that you would put in our hearts is God, help me love your word. Help me love your word. God, maybe here today someone is prayer is to cry out to you in salvation. We lift them to you that they may receive a new heart and be made new in Christ. This, our fervent prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.